Hello. Welcome back to the Being Cherished podcast, or just welcome if this is your first time joining us. We are a podcast for the Chinese-Irish community and other minority communities living in Ireland to share their stories. And I am your host, Diana Chung. I'm a filmmaker from Derry City in Northern Ireland. We love hearing from the community, so please keep those messages coming. Find us on our Facebook page, Being Cherished, and we're now also on Instagram. The links are all there on the show notes. So, episode six, I am honoured to introduce my friend Eve Lee, an honorary Cherish. Eve was born and bred in London and now is living in County Donegal. We chat about the big city to rural life transition, her London upbringing with her Hong Kong immigrant parents, how she ended up in Ireland, and the important community work she is doing, and of course, her incredible play, Joss Paper and Rootstock. A beautiful story about an Irish-born Chinese woman trying to explain to her Donegal husband the Chinese customs of the afterlife. You can check that play out on the Anne Greenland Theatre Facebook page. It's absolutely brilliant. Very, very funny and very, very educational at the same time. Don't be deceived by her thick London accent. Eve is now a proud Donegal countrywoman. She even does that wee wave to everyone she passes on the road, regardless if she knows them or not. And yes, that is a thing. Please give your ears to Eve. Hello again, Eve. A massive welcome to the podcast. Delighted to finally get you on. I remember so well our first call, Eve. I think we spoke at about 4 a.m. Does that does that ring a bell? 4 a.m. in the morning we were chatting. We were chatting till, yeah, 4 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and I also remember that call really well because... I asked you how you ended up in Ireland because you're from London and we had a, I think, 20 minute solid conversation about Boyzone straight off the bat. Do you remember that? I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I try and not tell people that I used to be a Boyzone fan. <laughs> I went to seven con- concerts. <laughs> we bonded there and then over Ron- our love for Ronan Keaton. And we we just had a laugh about loving Boyzone because I actually was a huge fan as well. So when I heard you went to seven concerts, I thought I, I, I realized that I wasn't a big fan because I don't think I went to one concert. So uh, in comparison, I'm not a fan compar- <laughs> compared to you. I would, I would love you to introduce yourself, Eve, and tell everyone how your love, lifelong dedication and love for Boyzone led you to from London to Ireland. Hi, my name's Eve. I'm from London originally, but now I live in the Geltacht in Donegal. I did go to seven boys' own concerts uh, when I was younger. I I had a huge crush on Ronan Keating. Same. And yep, yeah. <laughs> blue eyes. I don't know. I've always loved Irish accents, and there are so many. And um, I think I'm married into the wrong county because um, <laughs> I I prefer the Cork and Kerry accent. So <laughs> married into the wrong county. <laughs> but all Irish accents are beautiful. So, um, but Cork and Kerry accents are my favorite. I met my husband at the bus stop in Letterkenny when I was backpacking, and then I ended up moving to Donegal six months after <laughs> because um I'm crazy <laughs> and um 
And so I've been here since, and that was 15 years ago. So, <laughs> wow, what a chance meeting. So, you met your husband at a bus stop. And how did that pan out? Did he say hello first, or did you tell him about yourself first? Or how did that, how did that conversation go? Uh, I asked him for directions to the B&B and um, he asked me if I wanted to go for a drink. So I said maybe tomorrow night. So, uh, <laughs> and then we so, met the next night. So, <laughs> oh, so the old, the old um, asking for directions worked out for you. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll talk to anybody. So. <laughs> <laughs> that old chestnut Eve. yeah so I so where I where I moved to is um it's called Kalult uh but um uh, Folkara would be the the nearest town so um so it's in the Geltacht and uh we live in a big stone house um on farmland and um yeah when it was when I first moved here it was very very different from London obviously uh, so it was it was um it took me years to adjust actually I can only imagine how different it was moving to a very very rural area from the hustle and bustle of London tell me a wee bit more about growing up in London and how your parents ended up in in the UK so my parents are both from Hong Kong and um they moved to London two years before I was born. Yeah, and my parents worked in restaurants in um, in Chinatown and in Camden and in Mayfair. And uh, my dad used to manage restaurants around those areas. When my parents had me, they were still working. And uh, so my um, my grandparents would take me. My parents would, uh, my grandparents, well, my grandmother would babysit for, for my parents um, while they were working. So, Did you grow up in the Chinese takeaway and restaurant environment? Did you happen to live above? The yes, I of- did. Yes, I did. Um, we lived, we lived in Soho. So I think it was, it was pretty cool. Um, you know, when you're young and um, I don't know, like Trafalgar Square was my playground. So uh, and St. James's Park, you know, like um, that's where, um, you know, my parents would take me and my brother, you know, to to go and um, play. So it was very different <laughs> to how um, other friends, um, you know, were brought up, uh, especially the, the non-Chinese friends. Although I do have Chinese friends who... I grew up in a, a, a catering environment um, like myself. So when you say you your, your parents worked in a lot of restaurants and takeaways in around Chinatown as well, did you grow up in an area with many Chinese people in your schools and living around where you lived or were you quite in the minority? Like in a place like London, you can imagine the diversity. Well, uh we, we moved out of Soho um, and then we moved to the kind of s- suburbs of London, like um, North London, which um, to a place called Edgware, um, that's North London. And then we moved to um, Hertfordshire, which is just literally outside of London, um, to a place called Watford. I don't know if you've heard of Watford. Um, it's It's just outside of London and... Um, the school I went to was a Church of England school and um, 
No, it was quite a mixed school. Like, so, you know, I had friends from all the different religions, um, friends from different ethnic minorities. Um, so it was, it was a really good mixed uh, school. And, um, you know, you learn from other, you know, your friends' cultures and you learn about their religions. And like, it was, it was really like, cause I, I love learning. So it was really interesting to learn about their religions and their, their different cultures especially food um mm-hmm. just learning about the foods yeah that's I all love, that matters I love food. But, <laughs> yeah <laughs> food, food, food unites us all when it comes to different cultures it's great to to have friends from different backgrounds and to grow up in such a diverse place you mentioned it took you years to get used to life in Donegal and rural Ireland is there anything do you miss about London living in London well I really was you know always planning to run back to London at some point um you know and that was but that was before I could drive so once I I learned to drive and um I could get about by myself then um I felt more comfortable living here and um you know I've actually felt a little bit more settled um since I started driving because I felt less isolated because you really actually really do need a car to live to live where I live so um the first time we chatted you made me laugh because you said that when you first moved to Donegal your friend said give her give her a week she'll be back 15 years later you're still in Donegal what would you say about that what would you say to your friends now about that um (laughs) I won (laughs) because um I don't know because everyone was like saying we'll give you we'll give you three months uh, we'll see you we'll see you back in London in three months and I don't know I I I have quite a stubborn personality so I guess I was trying to prove people wrong <laughs> um, so yeah like um, yeah no fifteen years here I think during during lockdown was when I really appreciated um, you know where I live now because I, I wasn't stuck in an apartment in London. Um, with two children you know it was you know we have all the open spaces we have the beaches on our doorstep and we we have like great beautiful open spaces like we have parks and national parks um just on our doorstep so um you know you have more space when you live you know in rural places you know the children have more spaces to you know to run about in so I mean when we did the first lockdown they they were very happy, you know, because, you know, they were just playing in the garden every day because during the first lockdown, the weather was great. So we did daily walks in our local area um, within our five kilometers. And no, the first lockdown was was when I really appreciated where I where I live now. And, um, you know, it felt safer for the children. So so maybe I've just like really <laughs> gotten used to uh, country life. But yeah, lockdown really made me um, appreciate where I live right now. You know, I was I was like actually happy to be here, you know, like 100 percent happy to to live here for the first time. So that was a different kind of feeling for me because I, I never really felt that before. <laughs> I think during the first lockdown at the, at the start of the pandemic, a lot of people did realize that they were very fortunate to have outdoor space. In comparison to when you turned on the news, a lot of people had been quarantining in their apartments and we had seen a lot of images of people trapped in there. 
apartments and it was it made us realize in Ireland that we were very fortunate to have that open space and as you said parks and beaches and all this scenery around us and appreciating being outside and not being trapped indoors so I think a lot of people came that realization and started being grateful for for what we had here in Ireland. Thanks for sharing that Eve. I wanted to move on and say congratulations on your new play Joss Paper and Roast Duck which premiered online recently at Anne Greenan Theatre and I was fortunate and very blessed to be part of that play that you had written and I would like you to chat a wee bit more about what the play is about and what inspired you to write the play. Well, thank you for being in the production. <laughs> and you were brilliant. So thank you so much. Yeah, so the theatre were looking for, um, I saw I saw an ad, um, well, kind of post, and they were looking for short plays. So I was like, oh, I'll, I'll give that a go. So, um, you know, I, I wrote it in about five days because I had a... I kind of like um, had an idea in my head what what that short play would be. So um, yeah, I have a fascination with death and I have a fascination with food. <laughs> um, so I was just like, oh yes, you know, um, and I really do love roast duck. So. But the death customs um, in in both Irish culture and and Chinese culture, you know, I was just kind of like, you know, putting, putting the two, you know, kind of like, you know, like you, you have two people from different cultures and just kind of like seeing how different cultures can blend together, especially during, you know, in, in the context of a marriage. So um, it was fun, like just, um, well, I wrote it in the early hours of the morning. <laughs> so when the kids were in bed and I was really like when when I got the email that it was it was picked to be produced, I was like really you know delighted and yeah I was like oh wow you know it was it was really good yeah no it was it made me very happy so it was it was great seeing it you know brought to brought to life you know the words uh, brought to life by the theatre so yeah I really enjoyed that personally I thought it was a beautiful way of portraying two people a husband and wife from completely different backgrounds and showing their relationship through this specific custom and their their relationship really came out in the play because it was nearly like the, the transition between from the beginning of the play where the husband was like completely just confused of what she was saying and to the very end the transformation of his character where he was completely bought in and it just showed sort of his love for her and the respect they had for each other in this kind of humorous way in a very Irish comical way and it was I just loved how you're just being educated watching it you know for people who didn't know about the Joss paper and the customs of the Chinese traditions it was a way of educating them without shoving it down their throat if that makes sense it's like you were learning something new and enjoying something without knowing that you were you were you were learning something and I just, I just loved, I just loved being part of it. Although it scared the shit out of me, <laughs> but because um, I'm not used to being on the stage, <laughs> but I, I just loved being part of it. And I want to thank you again for that opportunity. Oh no, thank you for being part of it. Yeah, no, like I think, um, I because I have a fascination with death anyway. So like it was just like when I was young, like my parents um, would take me to the pits in Chinatown. 
and um you know they'd have like in in london chinatown and you know you'd see like a whole section like a whole aisle dedicated to you know just paper offerings um and i i loved you know picking up the you know the packets of uh of just paper banknotes and my my mum would would you know <laughs> she would give out to me because you know you're not supposed to be touching things for the for the dead unless you have to she would she would give out to me every time I went and touched the items in the you know in the aisle for sale but it was just like everything was so beautiful you know the the banknotes of like you know just real money and you just thought oh god can I buy anything with this money <laughs> um for anyone listening that doesn't know, this has no clue what we're chatting about. Can you just explain, Eve, about the custom of the Chinese, after, you know, the afterlife? And you know, who are, for people who haven't seen the play, obviously go and check it out. And it's on Anne Greenan Theatre and it's on Facebook. But for anyone listening who does not know what we're on about, can you quickly explain about the, the Joss paper and the food offerings? Uh, right. So like... um. In Chinese culture, when you when you pass, your loved ones like burn money down to you um, that's made with joss paper and the the joss paper banknotes they they look like you know real money, um, real banknotes basically, and it's um, it's burnt down to you, and then once it's burned to you, um, you receive it. But also there are other joss paper goods like. Um, dresses cars houses like you could literally get anything you wanted burned down to you so um anything you wanted when when you're dead you can have it burned down to you um you know by your loved ones you know like you just you just think well they forget something or what if they don't know to burn this or burn that so so the idea for you know for the play kind of came out of that like you know you know, if you, if you can have anything burned down to you, like, what would you, what would you put on the list? You know, <laughs> what things would you like to have burned down to you um, so that your life is more comfortable, um, you know, when you're dead, basically. When I was younger, when we went to Hong Kong as a family, I remember visiting my granny at her grave. And I remember, well, it wasn't grave. I, I can't really, I don't know if you would, describe it as a grave so obviously they're cremated and it's not like here in Ireland where you're buried and you have a gravestone so it's completely different but I remember buying a roast I don't know if it was a roast duck or a roast pork and offering it up with incense and I remember as a kid asking as well if we could eat it so it was like when you when that Came up in the play. I actually remember that when we were kids, and I remember mom like going, "Of course you can't! Oh my god, no, my you just can't do that." And I just didn't understand. I actually thought that's quite a waste because we just it was like fresh and we bought it and we just let it was just sitting there. I thought it was quite a waste, and I remember going into the shops where all the joss paper items were were on sale, and I remember seeing the false teeth, and I thought, "Oh my god, this is this is mad." <laughs> So, but when you're a kid, it's just second nature. You don't really think too much about it. I don't think when you're younger, you don't think about these things. And it wasn't until I read your script recently that I started thinking about it again. 
So it's really funny how all this information I already had, I just never, it never, it never came up in my mind until recently. So it just became almost just something I knew, but never thought about ever. Death customs, like, you know, from all the different cultures, like fascinate me. It's, you know, how people um, deal with death or different rituals. There are like, um, when I first moved here, um, well, before I moved here, I had never uh, been to a, a wake before. <laughs> and I'd never seen anyone who had passed away before. So I went to my first wake here, which was just a couple of months after I moved here. And um, so it was my husband's uncle who had passed away in a cottage. Um, and the wake was at the cottage, the family cottage, um, family home. And um, I remember that the cottage was packed, you know, it was really packed. And um, everyone was in the cottage and they were chatting and they were laughing and they were drinking tea and eating sandwiches being passed around <laughs> and um it was a bit surreal to me because I had never been to a wake and and you know when I went to the wake room to see the uncle you know my palms were sweating because yeah it was the first time I had seen someone who had passed away before um and it all felt so strange, you know, people standing around the deceased and chatting and and just telling stories. I thought that was a bit, I'd never experienced it before. So if you think about Chinese funerals, it's, it's you don't really, even during wakes, you don't really, there's not much speaking. Um, whereas like, um, you know, the traditional Irish wake is... It's, it's different and actually it's really quite a beautiful thing because it's kind of like oh you know the you know your family and your friends are you know gathered around you and you're you know and they're they're sharing your uh, life stories uh, with each other and um, I thought you know I really grew to appreciate what it you know you know the whole meaning of awake you know um, it's not necessarily for the for the person who's passed away but for you know the people um that the deceased has left behind yeah wakes are actually they're really quite a beautiful thing if you think about it I remember when my grandfather passed away and uh, my grandfather in London on my dad's side when he passed away he had to wait months to be buried and I don't know if this is the same um in cities um in Ireland, like I think maybe, I, do, I don't know if it is the same in cities because um, I've never been to a, a funeral in the city, but um, like in where I live, like, you know, if someone has passed away, you know, people are buried within a few days after they've passed away and like, you have the wake for a night or two and um, and then you have the funeral. It's more respectful for the, for the deceased, you know, that you're not... <laughs> you know, you're not sitting in a morgue um, for months before you're buried, you know. Yeah, I really appreciate the, you know, the way people deal with death here. It's, um, I think it's very respectful for the dead. Geez, Eva, I promised you a fun and um, informal, casual chat on the podcast, and then we end up <laughs> chatting about death. I don't know how that happened. I love talking about death. <laughs> obviously the play Joss Paper and Roast Duck is a comedy about death so I think um, that's how that's how we we kind of got chatting about it I wanted to on a lighter note just speak about your 
your work in in community theatre and your voluntary work and I wanted to learn a wee bit more about how you ended up writing and getting involved with community theatre and what your background was and was it something that you always wanted to do as a kid or did you happen to just you know fall into it how, how did you end up studying theatre? So I was brought up very, very um, traditional Chinese. So I was never, I was never allowed out after school. So, um, so after school, I would, I would be at home. And so I would, I would use that time to read and to, to write and to draw. So um, I love reading, I love writing, and I love, I love drawing. Um, but I really, I love writing because um, when I was young, I was very shy. And so I just always found um, writing, you know, an easier way to kind of like express myself. So yeah, no, I've always loved writing since a child. Like when I was a child, I used to keep diaries. So, um, and I used to write in my diaries like a few times a day. So um, history and English literature were my two favorite subjects at school. And I did really well in them because I love history and I love literature. So, um, yeah. And in my gap year, I did a lot of writing. And um, and then I, I got my place to study law and because that was the traditional Chinese kind of route to take. But then I was like saying to my parents, like, I don't actually want to, I don't want to spend four years studying something that I don't really enjoy. That I'm not 100% into. So... I got my place to study uh, film studies and theatre studies and that's what I ended up studying and then after that I I guess I was trying to please my parents you know um, after I <laughs> I had gone and done um, theatre for four years so um, I got my place in um, a law conversion course so it's the the one-year course the fast track course that you do when you already have a degree and you just do a top-up year to get um, to get the law degree as well so I could have done that but instead I went and did the master's in performance so <laughs> so I didn't do, I didn't do the law um, in the end at all um, no even for a year if I'm not 100% into it then I I wouldn't do well in something that I wasn't 100% interested in so that was the way I was thinking so um yeah <laughs> so I went and did the master's in performance and then while I was there I was working with um the chicken shed theatre company and I was doing inclusive theatre workshops with primary school children and um no, it was really um that was really enjoyable uh, so that was kind of like my first kind of teaching experience and then I ended up teaching a secondary level drama and dance um, with a local theatre school. Then I moved here. So <laughs> after I finished um, my first degree, I, um, I did um, a few fringe productions. I wanted to bring things I had written, you know, plays I'd written to life. So um, I did a few small productions um, in London and yeah, and then I did my master's. And any regrets? on not studying law and how did that conversation with your parents go down when you told them that you had no interest in doing law and that you were going to pursue pursue a theatre career how did that conversation go down it was it was kind of like um 
I don't know. I'm not sure if they were disappointed. I I think they probably were a bit disappointed. <laughs> like um, my cousins are are all professionals. Like they're, you know, there's a microbiologist there, and there's um, cousins who work in finance and lawyers, um, barristers. So I don't know if I was kind of like the black sheep of the family, but um. I guess they didn't really have a choice because I said, like, if I'm not, <laughs> if I'm not going to study what I want to study, I'm just not going to go to university. <laughs> so I guess that that was how that was how it played out. You know, I just I just couldn't go and study um, for how many years uh, if it wasn't something that I really was passionate about. Like, um, I am interested in law, but like, it's the the criminal law and the human rights law. So, um, you know, but with the law degree, you have to do um, the business and conveyancing and, you know, and with all the exams and all the mem memories, uh, the memorizing of all the different laws and things. So it's just like, there's no way I would, I would be able to, to pass those exams because if I'm not interested in something, it just doesn't get retained in my head. So I was like, it's pointless. And it, you know, it costs money. So it's like, you know, you'd be wasting your money. So good for you for making that decision, Eve, and, and just, you know, saying it out straight. Because I know a lot of people from our community go on and study things at university, subjects at university that they have no interest in. And it's just to please their parents. So it is a real thing. And it's very sad to hear a lot of the stories because it's not not uncommon at all so fair play to you for taking a stand and, and studying something that you're passionate about and had an interest in it's 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 a great it's a great story to tell Eve and and thanks for for sharing that I want to talk a wee bit more about the voluntary work you do because I know that you do quite a lot of voluntary work and I don't know how you fit it all in to be honest having the kids as well and just juggling it juggling a few different roles I want to talk to you about the direct provision support that you had provided for a while um, because I'm very interested in, in that side of things and if it wasn't for yourself, I probably wouldn't be as aware of the direct provision centres in, in the South of Ireland because in, in the North we don't, we don't have direct provision so a lot of people in the North don't know about it and it's quite a big topical thing, uh, political topical thing at the minute. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about how you got involved with the voluntary work that you were doing for direct provision refugees and asylum seekers? Yeah, um, so last last autumn I volunteered. Well, actually, I don't think I actually volunteered. I think I, I attended a Zoom meeting that the Abolish Direct Provision campaign had set up and I attended it to learn more about direct provision. I actually learned about direct provision from um, a course that I was doing that was run by the um, by the intercultural platform. Uh, that's that's an organisation here in Donegal, and and through that, I'm one of the students. One of the other students was she had previously lived in direct provision, and uh, one of my friends now. And before that, I didn't even know what direct provision was. Um, so when she shared her story with with the rest of the uh, the class. Um, that was when I found out about what 
direct provision was. And a lot of people don't know about what direct provision, you know, as a system is. And it's actually quite important to, uh, to bring that awareness to, to the, you know, the general public. I think, I think it's a misconception that every, every direct provision centre is run by people who are, who are, you know, racist and don't care about the, you know, the asylum seekers that are residents there. I think, see, what I, I disagree with is the, the direct provisions and uh, system as a whole. Um, but like, um, hopefully, um, you know, the system will end by 2024, as they say, like it should end earlier. <laughs> Um, there should be a, a better way to accommodate asylum seekers um, other than the system that, that, they're, that they're accommodating, you know, asylum seekers in um, right now, like in the direct provision centres. Like um, in some locations, uh, the places are too remote and, you know, people you know, the residents are cut off from, from the rest of, you know, society and there is absolutely no integration um, and it's very hard to get driving licenses and work permits. I think the work permit situation has changed. Um, residents can get work permits, but they can't, they can't get to the places, you know, to work because they live in very remote areas. So even though you are given permission to work, you have no access to transport that gets you to a workplace like if you lived in the middle of nowhere basically because like i said earlier it's so it's so important to have a to have access to transport if you're in a rural area yeah like um and uh, you know th there's another misconception that like asylum seekers you know want to just come here and just live off the state uh, it is absolutely not true you know asylum seekers um you know they're here because they're they're not safe to um, to go back home to their own home countries. You know they they have good reasons for um, for coming to Ireland, and um, it's a misconception that you know asylum seekers are all poor. A lot of them are professionals, and they have degrees and masters and PhDs and. You know, they, they, some of them are doctors, a lot of them are nurses, you know, they want to contribute to, you know, the country that is um, sheltering them from, um, from whatever they've run away from. You know, I think people need to understand, um, you know, because you hear so many stereotypes of what asylum seekers uh, are, and um, they're not true, you know, uh, they're not here to live off the state, they're not. You know, they, they're here because they want to be safe and uh, they want to keep their families safe and they want to work. Before it was harder, to, you, you know, the, the waiting process for a work permit, sometimes you'd be waiting a long time. But now it's I think um, they've changed it. So once you've been here for six months, you can get a work permit and um, try and apply for a job because of the, all the stereotypes of what and who asylum seekers are that, you know, um, there's a disadvantage when they're applying for work. Um, so hopefully that'll, that'll change, you know, that'll keep changing, you know, for the better, like, you know, where it's, it's really important to, to bring awareness um, about what direct provision is and, you know, to change the system. The allowances that asylum seekers get is really hard to live off. Um, yeah, it's important to change the system. Well, thanks for shedding a light on that. Eve, I think you've done a great job in helping to raise awareness 
about direct provision centres. I know since chatting to you the last time, I certainly read up on what direct provision centres were and what was happening. And I know a lot of people are still unaware. And there is, as you said, rightly said, there's a lot of stereotypes around what a refugee is or what an asylum seeker is. And you know, it all comes down to kind of negative stereotypes, which are perpetuated by the media. And it's all about raising awareness and having representation. You know, it's not just direct provision centers. It's, you know, recently, it's no secret that there's a lot of anti-immigration, you know, propaganda that's circulating around the media and negative stereotypes of immigrants. And, you know, when, when we hear the word asylum seeker, refugee, immigrant you know it's always negative negative images that we have because of the media and it's very problematic and it's no secret that brexit has you know increased attention around immigration and you know we only hear the negative stories that immigration brings we never read about positive stories of immigration and for me and you eve our parents were immigrants from hong kong and we are you know, the second generation and we were, we were born in the UK. So it's, you know, I think because of that, and I know I, I, I am definitely very aware of the issues because of my own background. And I know the work that you do is influenced by the fact that, you know, your parents were immigrants. I suppose it leads me on to the next, your next project. I'm really interested to hear more about your next project and how that is influenced by your background. And your next project is very interestingly linked to that. Do you want to talk about your next project and you know what inspired you to, to pursue that? Yeah, um, so like I've been working on um, a community theatre project since last September, October time. And it's, um, it's a theatre project that aims to tackle anti-immigrant sentiments in Donegal and in the rest of Ireland. And I suppose with the, you know, anti-immigrant sentiments, it's like, um, it comes with, you know, with racism and discrimination and prejudice. And um, I, I was really interested in parallel, <laughs> like, um, putting together like um, the experiences of immigrants here in Ireland, um, you know, their experiences of discrimination and racism and putting those stories together with the stories of Irish immigrants who um, who have lived abroad uh, or are still living abroad and, you know, their experiences of discrimination in the, um, in the earlier days decades you know where discrimination against the Irish um so it was just putting you know putting the experiences of um immigrants here uh with experiences of you know Irish um immigrants who who lived abroad and or maybe still live there and their experiences of discrimination and just kind of putting those stories together and just making people realize that actually where we've had similar experiences and you know and how we should kind of have empathy for each other's experiences um, through, you know, shared stories. Um, because I really think that, you know, when you share stories, it kind of it brings people together. And that's that's uh, an imp important part of like the project, you know, bringing people together um, through sharing stories. It sounds it sounds amazing. Eve, when can we expect to see the finished product? What stage are you at? Are you still interviewing um, people? 
Yeah, so I've been interviewing people since um, last winter time. Um, I still have a couple of more interviews um, to do, and we're hoping to get uh, a production out um, at the end of October, November time. Uh, I'm really excited about it, and it's been it's been a real privilege to to hear um, you know all the stories. Um, you know, from the people that I've interviewed and about their experiences, you know, um, you know, living here and living, living abroad, you know, it's like, um, you know, and then you just realize, you know, the stories are so similar, you know, you know, when, when you hear, you know, you hear someone's story and you just think, oh, you know, well, I can relate to that because I went through something similar or just even like, even if you haven't been through something similar, you can still feel the story that that person's telling like you know because when people share their stories it's kind of like it's usually from the heart so it's kind of like yeah it's it's been a real privilege to hear you know people's stories you know they're giving up their time to to talk to me so and and share their stories so yeah completely agree with you Eve when people when people tell their story and it's personal and people hear those stories there is a there is a connection and if even if you can just resonate with part of that it's really powerful and that's really that's really what what this podcast is about as well it's bringing people with similar backgrounds that can be completely different people and with different you know personalities and different interests but they share a similar background and it brings people together and people listening that may not be from a ethnic minority background and hear our stories it's it's a very powerful thing it's a way of connecting people and i just want people to you know stay curious and and learn from from each other and that's really the aim of this podcast and it's it's a simple concept just getting people on to talk and tell their most personal thoughts and feelings and in that way help people connect I, i'm really looking forward to to seeing this do you think do you think by october we'll, we'll, we're seeing open theaters with live audiences or how do you how are you preparing for the final the final presentation of it are you imagining a live theater it's um it's it's hard to explain how it's going to be because it's not going to be um it's going to be an interactive kind of like theater experience it's not really you know oh what can I say? it's not going to be like an on stage actors and actresses kind of you know performance it's going to be getting community um people from the community to take part so it's it's not like a stage play as such does that make sense Diana yeah it does it does make sense it's it sounds like it's yeah. interactive <laughs> and what's that word it's interactive and participate is it participation from from the community yeah. or the, it, yeah an yeah. audience type yeah so it's hard it's not going to be um so the first part of the project is it's the monologues from the interviews that I've been doing with um participants it's not going to be a stage performance as such it's going to be more um more from the community to participate in the production so um it actually doesn't involve any actors or actresses um as such so because it's a community theater project um it's more about getting as many people from the community involved as possible i look forward to to seeing it come to life it's really promising seeing your work being funded because it shows that 
there is an appetite for diverse voices in Ireland. And I think it's no secret that our community, the Chinese community, has been underrepresented in, in, in the country in terms of film and TV and, and the mainstream media. So it's great to hear, like, first of all, your, your play was, was commissioned, your, your play Joss Paper and Rostock was commissioned and and now your next project is also going to be showcasing a diverse voice so it's promising to see your work being funded and I'm really looking forward to seeing it. I was very happy when um, the theatre um, took on the project because because I think there is a lot of you know there's a lot of anti-immigrant sentiments here um, here in Ireland um, especially like during the the election last January February you know and in in Donegal there was Mel McConnell and and like in Ireland the the Southern Ireland uh, politicians who um, are very anti anti-immigrant. Yeah, no, I was very happy that the, the theatre took on the project um, to, to tackle, like, you know, the discrimination, um, the anti-immigrant sentiments that are that are here in Ireland um, um, and which which are kind of it's, it's kind of like a global kind of issue where I mean, it's the same in the UK as well. Like, you know, there's a lot of anti-immigrant sentiment and like it's it's all connected with racism and discrimination and and prejudice. So. So I think it's really important to bring kind of awareness um, to it and to try and to try and tackle it and try to um, have projects that bring people together and to share stories, to understand each other and live together rather than, you know, have like all this mistrust and um, misconceptions of, you know, people who are different to you because um actually everyone's different you know we're, we're all different so just kind of respecting each other's differences and you know celebrating our differences and actually build positive relationships rather than um not having relationships or having negative relationships you know i really hope that it comes through in um in the project that i'm doing no more projects that bring people together and celebrate difference is very, very important. And you're completely right. There is a lot of anti-immigration and racism that's happening, not not just in, in Ireland, but all over the world, as you said. And, you know, in America, I don't know if you've been following it, there's a lot of anti-Asian sentiment happening and it's, it's nearly on a daily basis where you'll see another shared video on, on social media of uh, uh, an Asian person being attacked, randomly attacked on the street. And it's usually the elderly Asian population that's being attacked. And it's very sad to see it. And it is a, a worrying trend. And, you know, we can only do our best now and try and raise awareness of it. Uh, there's there's people coming together, organizations coming together to, to call it out and to protest against it and, you know, try and try and raise awareness among the population that it's happening but no I think your your project is you know a great way of of sharing people's stories and help help bring people together that are from different backgrounds and you're completely right in what you said that we we are all different doesn't matter you know what our ethnicity or race or our skin color is we're, we're different people I just wanted to ask you one one question. I ask all my guests, 
what's the best thing about being Chinese and what's the best thing about being Irish. But obviously, you're originally from from London, so <laughs> I'm going to ask you a different question. What's the best thing about being Chinese, and what's the best thing about being an honorary Irish? The best thing about being Chinese. Um... Oh, a... I never really question at all. Um... Hmm. Do other guests answer quite quickly? <laughs> I need to think about it. Um... First thing that comes to your mind. <laughs> um... I, I, I actually don't. I, I'm not sure. I, I'm just very, um, you know. Actually, don't know. Okay, start with what's the best the food, thing I about guess. it. <laughs> Everyone says that. Everyone says that the food. <laughs> what, what 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 did you say? Start with what? I was going. I was going to say because you were you were you had to think about what was the best thing about being Chinese. So I was going to say start with what's the best thing about being an honorary Irish. Oh, um, uh, <laughs> that one's difficult. <laughs> no, no, Eve, you have to answer that one quickly. <laughs> you have to say, <laughs> my Irish husband. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I think, um, I, um, you know, I think I can answer the question, well, both the questions together, I guess. Um, like, I, I don't actually, you know, I would say, like, I'm a Londoner, like, I, I'm Chinese, but I'm a Londoner. And, like, if people ask me where I'm from, I always say London uh, or I'm BBC, British-born Chinese. Um, but I suppose, like, I was a person from two cultures, and I would say that now I am a person of three cultures. So I guess I'm a person of three cultures, and I think that that's a lovely thing, you know, like, because I, I think that I do take in certain things from Irish culture. <laughs> like, you know, I, I do the, you know, the hand signal that everyone does when they, when they drive here. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, you have this kind of finger thing that, you know, that you do, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a wee wave. <laughs> um, so, you know, when people pass you and they, yeah, I, I don't actually know what it's, know what it's called, but like, um, since uh, I started driving, I've, I've been doing that, you know, because everyone's doing it to you. So you're like, oh, you don't want to be rude and not do it. Um, uh, so you just kind of like wave back in the way that they wave to you. Just just to explain to people outside of Donegal that people wave to everybody when they're driving through rural Donegal and that's a thing. Just in case anybody is wondering what you're talking about, people wave at each other like 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 strangers. Yeah, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of like a a high or something. It's kind of like, you know, or, you know, they know you or or they're just being friendly or I don't know. Do they do they not do it in dairy? Not really. Is it not, not a dairy really. thing? Um, I mean, the, it is a dairy thing to, to say hello to somebody that you don't know in the street of, of a stranger. But I think the waving to people on the road, if they were walking on the road or they were driving past and it's a rural road, it's, it's, I think that's a Donegal thing. Oh, okay. 
it's kind of like a, a high but like <laughs> if I see my friends I'll give them a proper <laughs> proper wave but there have been times like people recognize people like recognize you um by your car here and it's like so like when I you know when I first moved here it's like it just really freaked me out that people you know people can recognize when you've been you know they know when you've been in town you know it's not like you told them you were in town <laughs> but they know they, they kind of know you're in town because your car was parked in the town and they recognized <laughs> and they recognized your number plate and I thought that's so freaky you know <laughs> if you're out shopping you know someone that knows you might have seen your car <laughs> And like, you know, know that you're, <laughs> that you went shopping in the town or whatever, or that you were in the park just because your car was parked there and they recognized your car and your number plate. <laughs> I was just thinking that that's so, you know, I don't know, it was, it took some getting used to and I just found it at first. It was a bit, I don't know. Um, what's the word? What's the word? Freaky. So, <laughs> so basically yeah. don't, don't, don't be up to no good when you're in Donegal, rural Donegal, don't, don't be up to no good <laughs> yeah. because you'll be seen. People know your car, they know your number plate. Don't be having affairs. Don't be doing anything dodgy if you're in rural Donegal. Is that, is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> I'm thinking that must be like, you know, like if, you know, people will be like, oh, um, oh, you, you, what were you doing in full car earlier on? And I'd be like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you basically moved from a city of millions of people and nobody knew who you were to a small small rural town where people know your number plate i know and i don't recognize people's cars or their number plates and you know um, you don't want to come across as being rude and not have waved back but sometimes it really is just because you know you know you don't you didn't realize you know because you're too busy concentrating on the road um, but like when I first moved here and I went to a supermarket and people just came up you know or just like you know you would you were just in an, an aisle in the supermarket and people would just say hi how are you doing <laughs> and I'm like good <laughs> because like when you're in London you know you don't really bump into people that you know and then when you do go to the supermarket you know strangers generally don't say hi to you and like you know how are you <laughs> so it was kind of like yeah it was it was a bit strange um at first you know it was like why are you saying hi to me you know well it's actually really nice because you know you know people are very friendly and they'll be like oh you know they say hi you know whereas like um if you go to a supermarket in in london no one would no one would look at you. No one would say hi. No one would ask how your day is going. You know, it's kind of nice. You know, it's like, like you're not invisible. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sure it was a culture shock. Yeah, it took a lot of getting used to, but it, it is nice when people, people say hi and how are you? When, when I do go home to London and I go to supermarkets and you know what I do? <laughs> I forget that I'm not in, I'm not in Ireland. <laughs> And that I'm not in rural Ireland and, you know, when I'm in the supermarket and I'll pass people and I'll say, hi, <laughs> how are you doing? <laughs> Looking at me exactly like how I kind of like looked at people when they, you know, when I first moved here and, you know, they'd say hi to me, you know, I'd be like, <laughs> oh, and it's like, oh yeah, I'm not in Ireland right now. <laughs> That's brilliant. In supermarkets in London. 
<laughs> That's a brilliant story, actually, because it is so true. It is sort of a signature Irish thing, rural Irish, because I think if you're in a bigger city like Dublin, it's not the same. It's not the same than, you know, it is such a, a rural Ireland thing where people just talk to strangers. And it's, I mean, I'm, I'm sure everyone knows you because not only that you're not white, it's and, and it's because you have a, an English accent as well. So it's like a double whammy. And I'm sure you're pretty famous in, in, in the area that you live. I'm sure everybody knows who you are. You know, I've only started getting to know people in the community the last, you know, four or five years. You know, you, you know, I've met, I met, I've met some really lovely people here and made some really um, great friendships. So, um, you know, and friends have been really good, like you know, helping before I could drive. You know, like they were very good at, you know, making sure that I didn't feel too isolated here. Like, cause I did feel like it was a big culture shock, you know, for a long time um, because I didn't have access to transport. It was a big kind of, you know, change from being able to get about by yourself everywhere in London and having that independence, and then you know, living in rural island where you had no access to transport it was like a big kind of change in life really and the friends I've made here have been really really brilliant that's that's really nice to to hear that Eve it couldn't have been easy moving from a big city to to Donegal you're a proud Irish country woman now with an English accent and a Chinese face It's, it's a lovely way to end this conversation. It's an absolute pleasure to chat to you as always. And I do wish you all the best for your next project. I can't wait to see it come alive. And I want to thank you for just doing the work that you're doing, raising awareness and helping people from underrepresented communities have a voice. And I think it's a really important thing. And it's, you know, it's something I don't take for granted. And I, I really appreciate the work that you're doing oh thank you for having me (laughs) thanks again to eve for that incredible conversation she makes me laugh every time we chat i really love that thanks to you guys for listening again if you want to get in touch please see the links for our socials we love reading your messages bye for now and take care